are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Huge thanks to Jamie for inviting me to preach this Sunday on such an easy text for once. I love the parable of the persistent widow. I love it because I understand her. I like her spunk, her feist, her anger, her you don't scare me. I love her as an example in our canon of biblical womanhood of shameless and persistent self-advocacy. Speak up for yourself. Don't roll over. Don't just take it when the world meets out injustice to you or to others. Don't stop demanding better just because somebody calls you noisy or disruptive or demanding or nasty or stubborn. Women, where are my women? Stubborn. I also love this parable because of its ironic flavor. It's a bit scoldy on Jesus' part when you read it closely, but in this this warm, loving, don't-you-know-me-by-now kind of way. I think a lot of times when we read the conclusion of this parable, it can sound like Jesus is comparing God to the unjust judge with similarity. Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not, brackets, also likewise God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? As though the takeaway is, be like this with God. Wear out the ear of the Holy Spirit with your insistence in prayer. That's how you'll get things done. That's how you'll see the deepest, most precious desires of your heart finally brought to pass. But that starts to sound a little bit like genie prayer. Rub the bottle this way, that way, just so. Everyone has their own advice. And then the genie will pop out and grant you your wish. This is not how prayer works. This is not a parable of comparison. It's a parable of contrast. Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God, God who is nothing like the unjust judge, God who made you and loves you, who is working all things together for the good of creation, God, the most high fountain of all abundance and grace, will not God bring about justice for her chosen ones, read all of us, who cry out day and night. God is not like the unjust judge. We're in Luke 18 here, but this is just a reprise of what Jesus spent a lot of time saying seven whole chapters ago in Luke 11. The people ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. That's important. So Jesus gives them the framework that we now call the Lord's Prayer. And you'll note in our liturgy tonight that every week we call ourselves bold in praying that prayer. Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, and then he goes into the ask, seek, knock business. Sometimes a person knocks on a friend's door in need of something, Jesus says, but the friend is busy or having a bad day. 
or the need is inconvenient, and they turn their friend away, so the friend has to nag and harass to get what they need. Such are human beings. But God will not turn you away or defer you for his own private convenience. Or what about you parents, Jesus says. If your children ask you for food, do you neglect them or pawn them off with some substitute? Of course not. You feed them good things, naturally. How much more so the Heavenly Father, perfection of parenthood. The most important thing my mom ever told me about God when I was growing up was that God is much, much more loving than me. At the time, I was, I was deep in angst about a, a troubled friend that I knew didn't have a sort of voluntary relationship with God. And because of that, at that stage in my life, I wasn't sure what God's relationship to them would be. I was terribly afraid that God would reject my friend if push came to shove, or that the cosmic rules of the chessboard of justice would consign them to death, and God would have to shrug their shoulders and say, whoops, too bad. I prayed so hard for that friend that after a while I felt like I had run out of words to bend God's ear with. And so, inspired by the parable of the persistent widow, I sometimes took to praying just through gesture, like this. I might be sitting down and I would just be knock-knock-knocking on my own thigh, or I'd be falling asleep and I'd just be knock-knock-knocking on my own shoulder. And that was my way of telling God, so help me. If this is what it takes, I will hassle and nag and wear you down until I see with my own two simian eyes that you've taken care of this. And while I was misguided in that in my heart I was treating God more like the unjust judge, in retrospect I think there was something very faithful about that knock-knock-knocking thing that I was doing. In his 2016 J.J. Thiessen lecture series, uh, an Old Testament scholar, J. Richard Middleton, talks about how, quote, even prayers on the ragged edge, on the boundaries of propriety, have the power to unleash the power of the resurrection and bring about new creation in our lives. So, in brief contrast with the parable of the persistent widow, I'd like to read a very abridged version of an already very, very short Jewish story called Bancha the Silent. And this version is written by Isaac Peretz. Here on earth, the death of Bancha the Silent made no impression at all. Ask anyone, who was Bancha? How did he live? How did he die? Did his strength slowly fade? Did his heart slowly give out? Or did the very marrow of his bones melt under the weight of his burdens? Who knows? Maybe he just died from not eating. Starvation, it's called. In silence he was born, in silence he lived, in silence he died. And in an even vaster silence he was put into the ground. But on the other world, 
It was not so. No, no. In paradise, the death of Bonja was an overwhelming event. The great trumpet of the Messiah announced through the seven heavens, Bonja the silent is dead. The most exalted angels with the most imposing wings hurried, flew to tell one another, Do you know who's dead? Bonja, Bonja the silent. In the great gateway to heaven, Abraham, our father, stretched out his arms in welcome and benediction. Peace be with you. And on his old face, a deep, sweet smile appeared. And of course, Bancha is welcomed and croned and robed and all the usual things, crowned and robed. But why the throne, the crown already, two important saints asked. He hasn't even been tried before the heavenly court of justice to which each new arrival must submit. Their voices were touched with envy. What's going on here anyway? The angels answered the two important saints that yes, Bonch's trial hadn't started, but it would only be a formality. Even the prosecutor wouldn't dare open his mouth why the whole thing wouldn't take five minutes. What's the matter with you? The angels asked. Don't you know who you're dealing with? We're talking about Bancha, Bancha the Silent. And Bancha's trial transpires. You can read the story yourself if you want to hear all that detail. At the end, the father interrupts and says to Bancha, My child, the judge begins again, You have always suffered, and you have always kept silent. There isn't one secret place in your body without its bleeding wound. There isn't one secret place in your soul without its wound and blood. And you never protested. You were always silent. There, in that other world, no one understood you. You never understood yourself. You never understood that you need not have been silent that you could have cried out and that your outcries would have brought the world itself down and ended it. You never understood your sleeping strength. There in that other world, the world of lies, your silence was never rewarded, but here in paradise is the world of truth. Here in paradise, you will be rewarded. You the judge can neither condemn nor pass sentence upon. For you, there is not one little portion of paradise, one little share. No, for you, there is everything. Whatever you want, everything is yours. And there are some rumblings in the courtroom after this speech. And Bancha, Bancha the Silent, says, Well, well then? And Bancha smiles for the first time. Well, well then? What I would like, Your Excellency, is to have every morning for breakfast a hot roll with fresh butter. That's his big ask. A silence falls upon the great hall, and it is more terrible than Bancha's has ever been. And slowly the judge and the angels bend their heads in shame at the unending meekness they have created on earth. Then the silence is shattered. The prosecutor laughs aloud, a bitter laugh.
For all of us in the church, our life's pursuit should be a closer walk with Christ. But I think to really give ourselves to that process, we as Christians may occasionally need to be a little braver in our desires and a little bolder in our words with God. I think we might need to pound a little on God's door, not because God is deaf, but because it's good for us to pound on God's door as though we really are not servants, but friends, welcome on all days in all states. There have been times in my life when, because I was hurting at my worst, I stopped praying. I didn't stop because I thought God didn't care or didn't want to help. I simply didn't know what to pray anymore. At those times, I almost mistrusted my own ability to know what was really best for me in the scheme of things, and I trusted that God knew, and God would continue to love and care for me according to that greater insight. But but don't swallow here, because all of this makes me sound deceptively virtuous, and there's still a big problem. If we stop praying in the midst of pain or trial for fear that we will pray wrong or lash out or speak incorrectly to God, we take ourselves away from God exactly in the moment when God is ready to do the tenderest, most important work in us. So to to conclude here, there's a text in the Book of Common Prayer, which we don't use very much anymore, that has transformed my sense of freedom to really lay all my cards on the table with God, uncensored, especially during times of perplexing pain. And in a way, I think it's been like an extension or or the next deeper layer of that old impulsive knock-knock-knock prayer that I started as a teenager. So I'd like to pass it on to you as a tool. I'll read it first, and then I'll lead it as a shared prayer to end. This is the text. Almighty God, Fountain of all wisdom, who knowest our necessities before we ask, and our ignorance in asking. We beseech thee to have compassion upon our infirmities, and to vouchsafe to give us those things which, for our unworthiness, we dare not, and for our blindness, we cannot ask. For the worthiness of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now that bit about unworthiness, it's not that we dare not ask for God's goodness because we are unworthy of it. No, no. It's that in our moments of cowardice, we become unworthy of our heritage as God's children, and it is for that sad reason we sometimes do not ask. Sometimes it's also simply true that we don't know what to ask for, so we feel voiceless. In both of those circumstances, I find this prayer helps me. So join with me as we close in a prayer for all times. Almighty God, fountain of all wisdom, who knowest our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking, we beseech thee to have compassion upon our infirmities and vouchsafe to give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not, 
and for our blindness we cannot ask. For the worthiness of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.